often when we think of the quintessential American novel, we think of Of Mice and Men or The Great Gatsby or even The Old Man in the Sea. These are all well-known and beloved American novels and they all have one thing among many in common, working class characters. You have Gatsby who tries desperately to escape the plight of the proletariat by becoming literally the most bourgeoisie character I've ever read. You have Lenny and George who personify the lack of control the working class had over their own lives during the capitalistic hellscape that was life leading up to the Great Depression. And of course you have Santiago who in Old Man in the Sea finds that through his failure to be a successful fisherman, he's isolated from everyone who he used to be such good friends with, which some say was a reflection of how Hemingway himself was feeling towards his career as a writer. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Wordplay, a Writing Center podcast. I'm so happy to be back here to host episode one of season seven. In this episode, we are exploring the underappreciated world of working class literature. So today's episode is like super information filled. I really hope y'all are ready to fall in love with this genre. It's really one that so many of us working class folks living in late stage capitalism can really enjoy and relate to. And no worries if you have any questions or anything about the definitions or some of the words that we're going to be using in this episode. I will be listing definitions in the episode summary and we will also explain them in the episode. This is a very special episode because we have Dr. Dustin Hoffman from the English department coming to talk to us. It'll be super fun and I can't wait for y'all to hear it. So what do we mean when we say working class and working class literature? Well, in the 2014 fall issue of Radical Teacher, a journal published by the Center for the Study of Education and Politics, Paul Lauder, the former president of the American Studies Association and current professor of literature at Trinity College, explores the meaning of working class literature in his article, Working Class Women's Literature, An Introduction to Study. He defines working class literature as literary works by and about working people written and or forms, high, popular, and mass culture. Lauder's definition of the working class, however, is much more involved. He writes, working class is those who sell their labor for wages, who have relatively little control over the nature or products of their work, who, to improve their lot, either must move in solidarity with their class or leave it. I include those who work in homes, whose labor is sold although not for pay. I also include those who work on farms and those whose labor is extorted from them by slavery and peonage. Such categories, though admittedly blurred at the edges, give us at least a reasonable place from which to start. So. With those definitions in mind, I also want to lay down some basic definitions that some people might not know or maybe might have some sort of idea but no real specifics. There are two real words that we're going to be using a lot in today's podcast um, and that'll be the bourgeoisie, which is the class who own most of society's wealth and means of production. A lot of times people might get this word mixed up or confused and think that that means like middle class and up, but really it just means like the people who own the means of production. So like it's not going to be the manager at Food Lion, it's going to be the CEO of Food Lion, the board of directors at Food Lion. And then you have the proletariat, 
So those are workers or working class people, and that's what they're called when they're like regarded collectively. So individually, they're workers. Collectively, they're the proletariat. And so those would be, you know, the manager of Food Lion and everyone below him. I think that's a good way to start off the podcast by explaining what those things are. Oftentimes, when we discuss working class literature, we will use terms from economic or Marxist theory. So if you're interested in learning more about this genre after the podcast, or if you're interested in class struggles in literature or even Marxist literary theory, it would be helpful to familiarize yourself with these terms and others like them. As mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, a lot of what we would consider to be American classics are also texts that are deeply influenced by American working class themes. Amanda Arnold writes in her article on LitHub, The Forgotten History of American Working Class Literature, Working class texts, due to questions of literary merit and not yet substantial place in academia, have struggled to assert their place in any canon. American universities have slowly begun adopting working-class programs to study the narratives of a demographic that's both underrepresented in academia and nearly universally misunderstood. These efforts are to promote an understanding of what could constitute its own canon of literature, one that has been continuously produced since the early 19th century, but for years has been ignored. So who are these authors? Who are these people who are working class or who are writing about the working class? I think that there are three authors in particular that you might be familiar with and some that you might not be familiar with that are just perfect examples of working class writers. One of them is Ralph Ellison. You may have had to read The Invisible Man in high school, maybe in some of your AP Lit classes, but one book that I would greatly recommend is The Invisible Man, obviously, which, if you don't know, is a novel about a black working class man who leaves the segregation of the South to make it in Harlem. He deals with racism and class conflict and a series of like odd jobs and unemployment. That is a great one. There's also his short story called The Black Ball, um, which is about attempts to organize workers across color lines in the segregated southern United States. The next person is one I know all of you read in high school. John Steinbeck, like I mentioned earlier, of Mice and Men is a great example of working class literature. And our third and final recommendation would have to be Ethel Carrie Holdsworth. I do think it's important to note she is not an American author. She is a British author, but I think it's important to include women authors in this because a lot of times women's labor is not put on the same level as like a man's labor. So you'll often hear about the working class man, but rarely in America do you really hear about like a woman's labor. So Ethel Carney Holdsworth wrote a book called This Slavery. It centers on women workers in Lancashire textile mill. Their experience is conveyed through a story of two sisters, Hester, who enters a loveless marriage to a millmaster, and Rachel, who becomes a strike leader. I absolutely love this book. I have not finished it yet. I would 100% recommend that y'all go check it out. If you just type in um, This Slavery by Ethel Carney Holdsworth, you can find her book for free on Google, so no excuses, definitely go check it out. While I am only just beginning my journey into this genre of literature, 
I am lucky enough to be joined by Winthrop's very own Dr. Dustin Hoffman, who is not only a beloved creative writing professor, but also an incredibly talented author who often writes about the working class in his own works. Okay, so how would you define working class literature in your own words? All right, so yeah, um, defining working class literature is certainly a, a challenge as it's not like a set literary movement necessarily. And, um, and it's such a good question to ask. And, and by the way, thank you so much for thinking of me for this. And, uh, and I love this topic. So I, I, and thinking about the definition, I'm weighing like, does it, is working class literature defined by um, the, the author's biography, like that they must be working class or come from a working class background? Or should it be that it's about working class subject matter and the author's biography doesn't necessarily matter? You know, I, I think it's needs it probably should be a somewhat of a balance and give and take of both. Um, although I think somebody who hasn't experienced much working class literal actual lifestyle could certainly write about working class subject matter and do it well. And, and I'm a big advocate that like writers should explore outside of their own personal experiences and like research and empathize and be compassionate and curious about the world. Uh, but I think, you know, that if it's, if it's a, a writer who's not necessarily working class writing about the subject matter, or even if they are, I think what's really important is that working class characters aren't just side characters and aren't falling into simple and easy stereotypes that I think we've seen throughout the history of literature. Um, like the Victorianists started to really look at working class characters, but they often ended up as these like caricatures of uh, objects of, of pity or, um, kind of comic relief. Uh, and, and, and I think that I would not define that, like even some, some of Dickens uh, stuff, and, and he did a good job with some working early working class literature, but I think he often fell into that trap of like, especially these sub objects of pity or these caricatures of pity. So I think, you know, it needs to be a fuller, deeper representation of who these people are in their lives. There's a, um, a, a term critics used, I think in the 70s or 80s, Kmart realism, that I always like this, that kind of defined uh, working class literature. And it's like how we think about it today. But they talked about how like name brand um, language kind of seeps into working class lifestyle, like the name of the brand of your cigarettes and the brand of your shoes and your Dickies clothing and like that you shop at Walmart and eat at McDonald's, like that's a big part of like the working class language. And, and so that's one way critics have defined it that I always think is interesting. So, and I think in a larger sense, we could think of like the language really pertinent to a working class lifestyle. And for me, it's like the names of the tools and the tasks you complete and this way of thinking about work and how it like for better or worse, creates a, a tunnel vision kind of perspective on how you see everything in the world. So uh, that deeper investigation of, of working class subject matter is so important. A colleague of mine and I had kind of argued about this before, talked about like, how do you even identify working class authors that, you know, often I think folks don't put that into their biography. Like, do you put an asterisk in the table of contents by any writer whose parents made like less than $40,000 a year? You know, like it's impossible to 
to define this, you know, by biography alone. So maybe subject matter is, is the better approach. So there's my long definitions, but a deep dive into the culture and the true experience, complex experience of a working class character, I think is at the heart of it. I definitely think that that definition, like the definition being super like long and complicated is definitely something that I've seen during like my own research for this episode too. So thank you so much for that. Um, as an author who often works with working class characters in his writing, what is the importance of their representation in fiction? Yeah, uh, so this kind of speaks back to what I was, uh, I was making fun of the Victorianists in my doctoral studies, my Victorian professors who were lovely, brilliant, wonderful people were always frustrated with me because I'm like, where's all the working class characters and these portrayals are terrible. And, you know, we see that, I mean, up to contemporary literature, they're still working class characters are still caricatured. The thing I see most commonly, and I bring this up in workshops, like all working class dads are like drunk and abusive and absent and negligent, right? Like that's one of those stereotypes that persists into, you know, in, into movies and cinema. And there's probably some truth behind it, but I think a really problematic stereotype in like seeing that as the, the only way these like male figures can exist. And that's just one example. Um, so I think, you know, that the importance of that representation is to, to push beyond the stereotype and then also for, for me, it was very much about just like the missing voices of the people that I used to paint houses with that were like beautiful in their gritty, like gross poetry of expletives and like saying terrible things and the way they talked, I found so beautiful and fascinating. And I, I didn't find that in fiction. And I spent, you know, multiple graduate degrees studying literature, like seeking this out. And that's great for a writer like me, like here's a gap, right? That I that I can fill in. And, and also I always, as a Midwesterner felt like my voice had kind of had this flat affect and this like there's Midwestern dialect seems like kind of nothing. I recognize it now that I'm down South. So it was also, it also helped me, like it helped me find a working or a, a writing voice that offered some uniqueness. But yeah, I think, you know, that those voices were missing and needed uh, further, deeper development was is definitely the importance of working class representation and like so many marginalized voices, right? That that they need to to be present in our literature. So it's not just like rich, affluent New Yorkers, you know, like wandering around with all their money and uh, having existential crises. You know, we need like more lives than that. And speaking of your time in workshops and as a professor, have you noticed a shift in how students are writing about work? And do you have many students who are writing about the working class at all? Um, uh, well, I, I force it. I force my students to write about work. Even in my writing 101 classes, I have assignments where they have to write about a work experience. And then in my creative writing classes, um, I also require them at least once to try it out, to write about a working experience. And these days I ask students to raise their hands, usually in a class, like how many of you have worked for a wage, which probably to like most of your audience or to you, it's, it sounds ridiculous, like everyone, right? Um, but that wasn't the case, even, you know, even when I was uh, in undergrad, I graduated in 2006. Uh, but our men my mentor, Jamie Gordon, used to ask this question too, and said like when she went to college, 
you know, in the um, the 60s, 70s, uh, there this was like nobody worked. You know that people were full time students primarily, and and I think that like that shift uh, is certainly a a very significant one. So everybody's got that subject matter, um, and I you know I try to show my students like what great material they already have available to them, and they usually lean into it because they're doing such cool stuff with it. Um, and I think readers are really fascinated. But I see like there's a bias against writing about work or maybe it's an embarrassment or maybe it's like uh, early writers are just, they think it's not interesting enough. Um, and I think that comes from the literature that they read and that's prevalent, um, you know, and marketed. And this is like partly capitalism too. It's, and, and even what's in our anthologies is not like working class characters and is not writing about work. Um, even, you know, YA fantasy literature that tends to be to avoid working class voices and perspectives. So students are being trained early on. The writers, when they get to me, have been trained like, we don't talk about that. You know, we don't talk about work and working class people. So I try to show them like, yes, we should and we can. Oh, and I should say one more thing, like Winthrop students specifically, I love working at Winthrop. For this, uniquely, we get so many working class students, first generation students. And, and I think, you know, that's another thing I feel grateful that I can do here at Winthrop is to show them like what their parents do and what they did before they came to campus, you know, is important and worthwhile and worth story. That's such a good point. Um, and speaking of like this shift in students and how many more of us are working, do you think that society's changing views about capitalism have affected how we read and write about the working class? Yeah, um, I, I think so. And, and I think we're seeing some, some more even interesting shifts now that, um, you know, it's talked about in the news a lot, the, the shrinking middle class. Um, and so there's even more of like that perpetually working class um, uh, and levels of that. I like the gig economy, I think is something so fascinating that literature needs to be exploring more too, that everybody's got, you know, not just one job, they got, they have five or six different jobs uh, and are, are constantly filling their day, going from uh, one job to the next without, you know, a security of will that job exist? Will, um, you, you know, um, will I be able to make enough with this to, to pay rent or buy a house? You know, I, I think we we can see in our working culture right now, like that e even that middle class sensibility has kind of crumbled in a way that I think it makes it more essential for us to explore what it means to work and to be a part of, of a working class. You know, one more thing, I guess I'll note, like a political hot take that I've mentioned in other interviews before is that I think there's a real danger uh, uh, when writing about working class people to fall into a binary of overly romanticizing and glamorizing working class people. And this is kind of the, um, uh, the, the Trump election with Hillary Clinton was what really uh, uh, set this like into contrast for me. Like there was Trump like pretending to shovel coal and talking about how great coal miners are in West Virginia. Um, and, um, uh, and I'm disgusted by Trump. I'll say like, I, I, you know, I, I value every student's political belief and I, and I try not to, I try to be as 
objective as possible. But I can say, like, I, I despise that guy and find him gross. And and his glamorizing and romanticizing of the working class I was very much like pandering to a voter base when like a guy who's never worked a day in his life, like a working class job. And but then on the other side, there was like the the basket of deplorables, the the kind of the and I don't think Hillary even meant it the way it got taken, but um, there was that kind of other binary of like vilifying working class people or like they appropriated it that way, like I'm a deplorable. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, so I, I'm, I really am concerned about that. And I think writers have to seek this, like the seam and this, this gray area of complexity that, you know, the working class life is tough and full of, bigotry and violence and breaks it breaks bodies especially manual labor like there are terrible things about like being a coal miner especially and at the same time like to just put everything in a box like they're all drunks and abusive and bigots like that's also like a really problematic perspective so uh so i think like we have to you know this whatever's happening with capitalism right now and this greatening span of working class uh identity I, you know, I think that the, the writers really need to dig into exploring, you know, what's going on with capitalism and these identities. And I think it, like more people are interested in this than ever because we're, we're kind of all in it. Oh, such a good answer. Thank you so much. Um, I really hope that like with this episode, the audience is really interested in working class literature now. But if they are, do you have any recommendations of working class literature for our audience to help introduce them to the genre? Yeah, I was uh, I was making a little bit of a list and I can make a much longer list. And, and I hope I'll get to teach a class of just working class literature down the road. I'd love to do that. But um, um, but yeah, so, some like a historical suggestion I make Raymond Carver, I think, was a was a big shift like toward working class literature as we think about it today. He was working class most of his life before he started writing fiction and writes about working class characters beautifully. I mean, you can't go wrong. Any Raymond Carver short story uh, is going to be a great representation of that. Dorothy Allison, a South Carolinian, uh, a South Carolina native, she also writes about this uh, really well, working class characters. So that's kind of a historical shift in like the you know, 70s, 80s, like those writers were big names. And contemporary writers, I'd mentioned George Saunders, uh, Daniel Roscoe is one of my favorites. Philip Levine is a, uh, he just passed away oh, five or six years ago. Um, perhaps our greatest working class poet to, to have ever lived, I, I might argue. Um, Bonnie Jo Campbell is another Midwestern working class author. Lucia Berlin had a book called A Manual for Cleaning Women that is just fantastic and full of like characters at work and like cleaning women specifically, she explores that. And then some really contemporary voices, uh, Jenny Bott, she, she put out this great book uh, story collection called Each of Us Killers. And then I've been super excited about Friday Black uh, by Nana Kwame Eje Brenya. Um, that's a fantastic collection of surreal working class stories. Uh, he's fantastic. And he has a new novel. His first novel is coming out, uh, I think later this year. I'll send you the list, Jordan, just in case you can link this stuff too. And, and maybe your, your readers could, could give it that a quick scan. Cause I'm just throwing out a bunch of names. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Um, 
I really look forward to your books as well. If everyone doesn't know, Dr. Hoffman does have some excellent short story collections and a novel coming out soon that talks a lot about working class uh, people as well as uh, capitalistic or capitalistic telescopes. So everyone look out for those books. And again, thank you so much, Dr. Hoffman, for joining us. Thank you for your brilliant questions too, Jordan. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. That's it for our first episode of season seven. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to start this season with y'all. I will also be adding a list of all of the books that Dr. Hoffman recommended in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you guys next week.